Welcome to the Neuroaffirming Parent Podcast Winter Special Episode. So usually on this show, we explore the unique challenges and joys of being a neurodiversity affirming parent. But today I want to welcome back to the show, Mr. Neuroaffirming Parent. He's joining me on this holiday special to talk about our favorite memories of our past holiday celebrations, how we individually handled holiday stress in our past, how we've handled it together as a couple, and now how we handle the holidays as parents. And we're going to talk a little bit about our experience in parenthood from our children as babies to toddlers to now as just kids. So please welcome back to the show, Mr. Neuroaffirming Parent. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So for some background context, my husband and I had different experiences growing up. I had a single mom and it was just me, her, and my sister sometimes because she would also visit her um, other side of the family. But we grew up differently. So please tell our listeners a little bit about your family history. Oh yeah, definitely. I I grew up in a two-parent household. Uh, My parents met when they were extremely young and stayed together to this day, as you know. So it was very, very family-oriented as far as from both sides of the family. Big families on both sides, so that was... Go ahead, tell them how big. It was extremely big. My dad's the youngest of 10, and my mom was technically the youngest of three but she was taken in by them so her original family she was the second youngest of 15 that we know of so where my mom she she had a two-parent home but it was just her and her sister and they were 10 years apart so my mom's idea of like christmas was very much well, for a frame of reference, it was like 1960s and 70s where she grew up, and it was very much traditional. Like, she told me she remembers, like, her dad was the main person that would put up decorations, not her mom, which I know isn't always traditional. But her dad loved tinsel, which I know a lot of people kind of don't love tinsel because of the sensory element all the time. Um, but my mom had a lot of decorations that she would always bring out. At not really the change of seasons but kind of like when she felt ready to change the season and it was a mix of stuff that she had gotten from her childhood that she's collected from her marriage with my sister's dad and then what she collected with her marriage to my dad and kind of the childhood between me and my sister so do you like remember putting up decorations with your family oh definitely we we did the lights on the outside christmas tree as far as my overall family goes, I had two sides. From my dad's side of the family was very Santa Claus, Christmas, lights. From my mom's side of the family, it was more the birth of Jesus, going to church, and that sort of thing. So, But I got more of the holiday spirit from my dad's side of the family. Yeah, and I definitely noticed that when we started dating because it's funny story is kind of holidays are connected to our relationship because the first major family meeting was around Easter and I think it was interesting because I didn't really well we didn't really discuss religion or holidays when we started Mm. dating Mm. I mean that's not necessarily what you do but it kind of came up and I was I hope 
to say I'm, I was very explicit. Like, I'm not anti-religious. I have a lot of religious trauma when it's related to my upbringing. But I'm not against holidays. Like, I I get the allure of candy. Like, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got to meet your family, it was... I, I told you. Like, I had been around my sisters. Because my sister was married twice. So, I was always, like, the auxiliary family member in those events where her... Her partners have always been the traditional Southern family of very performative holidays where, you know, you know that you have to get together, you have to eat. There's a lot of demands. There's a lot of have-tos and expectations. So, you know, if there's a potluck, you have to bring a certain meal. You know, if there's like, if there's going to be games, you have to participate. But my sister's family also, like, there was a certain point where they collectively were like, all right, we're going to take a nap. And that was, like, my usual exit out. Um, So I remember telling you, I was like, this is the first experience I had of, like, a traditional Southern family at your family's event for Easter where it was fun and I didn't feel excluded. And they found a way to include everybody. Um, But can you kind of explain, like, how your grandparents kind of orchestrated that? Well, my grandparents are, like you said, very inclusive to everyone. I mean, their door was always open, whether it was their current priest at their church. Because they were Catholic. Yeah, yeah. because they were Catholic. Or a girlfriend of a grandchild or great-grandchild. Yeah, it was the first girlfriend, what, the girlfriend of a grandchild that was not white? (laughs) That I know of. That I know of. That we know of, yeah. But, yeah, they're very inclusive, um, warm people. You know, they just embrace you and I was glad that you got to see I'm glad that it it turned out to be something that I thought it would be I was afraid that I'd bring you there and be like and I had to explain on the way home like oh it used to be like this yeah but really I got to say like oh you got to see exactly how I celebrated holidays and I thought that was cool so well I noticed it was very inclusive of how even though they knew there was like a large group of people they still knew how to make it fun. And, like, an example is, like, the Easter egg hunt. They didn't exclude older kids that wanted to participate, and they had a separate division of toy for any kid that was there. And, obviously, they prioritized, like, younger kids and babies, and they want to celebrate those parents, too. But I noticed it was, like, your cousin's um, wife's brother that... You know, in other families, they might have considered him too old to participate, but your family did not exclude him at all. Oh, no, no. And I know as the years went on, it got to be more of a, to me anyway, and you can say, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but to me it seemed more like geared towards the grandkids that had new kids. Mm, You know, and it kind of changed to me then. Not, I don't think it was anything that they did on purpose, but they wanted the great-grandkids to have that time, which was awesome. And, um, hey, I got the hot eggs, so <laughs> never got the hot Well, them. that's, yeah, that's a good point. It's like they factored in the idea that older kids would want to be involved with helping the younger kids. And it was definitely, I would say, like a role model or mentorship kind of idea of how to approach it because you would see how the years went on. The older kids saw that collective shift of, oh, I'm in the older group now. And I noticed you and your cousins talking about it of like, it was like a gentle way to introduce y'all to 
becoming adults within oh, yeah. your own family. Yeah, it's, it's they use events like that to almost like as a indoctrination into the older <laughs> group. Like, hey, you made it. Come hide eggs with You get us. more responsibility. You get more Definitely. trust. And you look, we owned an apartment together. I moved out. So we got to bring, that's the first time I brought something to eat. Like, I think we brought chips. That's something I brought myself to a dinner that my parents didn't bring. So that was cool. And that's a good point. If we can talk, we don't have to do a whole episode on holiday food. But me and my husband, we have different preferences for food. And it's not to say that, like, I was, like, groomed to become, like, a wife or anything. But I kind of knew just observing friends and family like hey like once you get a certain age as an adult there's certain like dishes you need to be able to feel comfortable to make that one you can identify as something you like number two you can make that's in like a vague sense or a general sense that other people will like um and three it's like an easy food to throw together so you won't have to like go out of your way to make so an example is like i brought my version of coleslaw which is unique because North Carolina, it's more vinegar and sugar based. And it was like something easy. Like it's literally like the coleslaw base from the store. You just make the little vinaigrette that goes with it. You shake it in Tupperware and you bring it. And like, it was nice because it's a talking point. I can tell people about it. It's, um, you know, even if people try it and they don't like it, it's okay. I'm not connected to it, but it was cool to talk about that. But Let's talk about food sensitivities because that's one thing I know is huge in the neurodiversity community and the neurodivergent world. But would you like to share foods that you hate <laughs> or condiments that you don't like? Yeah, it's condiments. <laughs> I will not touch ketchup, mustard, or mayonnaise, or relish, or coleslaw. <laughs> not anything else. I will try. But those things I will not touch. And Do you remember like when I, it started, though? Birth. <laughs> like, I mean, birth. I, I don't remember a time. I, I remember trying each one when I was really young. And to this day, just from trying it, I can't smell it. It's that bad. And another thing is, is like, his family is very nice about it because it's... It's almost like an inside joke at this point, but it's also a reminder of like, oh yeah, he's sensitive to that kind of food. And the people that you rem- that remember it, you notice like, oh, that's like compassion. It's yeah, definitely it empathetic. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's not like, a, oh, I'll, you know, scrape it off or I've told, people have told me that before. It's, it's one of those things where I can't, even the thought of eating it will make me sick. Well, and I had a recent experience this past weekend going to a baby shower is because a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the foods were egg-based. And of course, you know, with holidays and events, like I get it. Like they're so cute. You see them on Pinterest, you want to make them. And even your family, like I know I got the side eye because they had like deviled eggs or egg salad. And I think it's easy for you to be like, well, I don't like mustard, so I can't eat that. But for me whatever reason for pregnancy it made me more sensitive to eggs and now I'm noticing that my mouth is itchy so I don't say I'm totally allergic but there was a point where I remember I tried a salad at your family's house and then I got sick after and (laughs) I don't think people realize that when you put yourself out and you do try to be nice 
that, you know, you go home and you get sick and then you're like, ugh, why did I do that? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but to move on, when it comes to sensitivities, I think another thing that was great that we talked about as a couple before having kids was we kind of, especially going into Halloween, I remember we would talk about like certain costumes. Like we remember our favorite costumes we wore and the reasons behind it. Um, but we kind of had that conversation that we would never force our kids to wear a costume. I was a ninja for six years straight, (laughs) so we know my favorite. (laughs) But do you remember like the fabric? It was like, it didn't bother you, right? No, no. It didn't bother me. And, like, I think I was even telling somebody the other day, like, I'm jealous of our kids because the weather change in our state right now is where they can wear the full costumes if they want to. Where I remember as a kid, it sometimes got so hot. Like, even if I wanted to have the cool ninja costume, I'd probably have to change out of it because I got overheated. And I, I know the parents that would get mad and would be like, well, no, you're wearing the costume because we paid $50 for it and you have to wear this. But I have to say, like, I'm grateful my mom, or I had a good neighborhood where if we wanted to quit, if like another sensitivity is exercise, walking. Some kids can't walk all night. And I know when I moved into a more expensive neighborhood, like there was a lot of families that could afford four wheelers or you know, a lot of, what is it called? Like trailers? Yeah, my my uh, mom brought us to her friend's house, best friend's house, and we did their neighborhood for several years. And her husband always did a hayride mm. every year. And that was my favorite thing is riding on the hayride. And he stopped at every house and drive around the whole neighborhood. It was It was awesome. And I think the big difference we've seen just as parents and as becoming adults is the more inclusive a trunk or treat might be or the more inclusive a local just Halloween celebration or a fall festival. And I think it's way more inclusive because of different religions, different backgrounds, different cultures. And I would even say like, you know, different schedules. And especially, I mean, growing up when I had a single mom, I she really relied on me having friends to take me places if I wanted to go. Where I feel like today there's a lot more divorced families and multicultural families and they have more options for, you know, hey, if dad's working this weekend, you'll see the mom go to that event. And I mean, some of these kids, like, they get double holidays almost where our poor kids, just because we're married, like, sorry, you only get one. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. Too tired, do too. But... Also, let's talk about Thanksgiving because I know personally we've kind of shifted ever since COVID because we had a lot more options of either celebrating with a family and we're definitely more mindful of if we're going to a place that's going to be enclosed and kind of more susceptible to disease or spread of disease. And we've kind of shifted more to just kind of celebrate Thanksgiving at home or if we do... Like, I know there's a lot more options now where we can order the food and pick it up and just have it at home. Um, I've kind of told you the story where me and my mom, because she was a single mom, we didn't we didn't care. I mean, a lot of these holidays are because of judgment and how people feel on the perception. So there was one year me and my mom just went to Sonic and had foot-long hot dogs because it was the only restaurant open and she didn't feel like cooking and I didn't want to cook. 
And it's a funny story to tell people now, but in the South, that's like a big deal. Cause like the, sh- the South shuts down for holidays. Yeah. Like if you don't plan or if you don't prepare a meal before and like, let's talk about safe foods. Like if your safe food is out that week, there's not much you can do. Sure. Like, I know we have to talk like what about like two weeks in advance. Like, are we going to do a ham this oh, year? Yeah. Oh, are we yeah. going to do Turkey? Are we going to do chicken? And I remember, like, the first year we moved in together, I told you, I was like, let's do meatballs in the crock pot. And your family looked at me, like, sideways. And they were like, <laughs> that's not a traditional food. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, they're very traditional as far as Thanksgiving goes. Me, myself, I never really noticed it. Because me and my cousins had our own tradition on Thanksgiving of playing backyard baseball. Every year we kept the score from the last year and who won and how many hits that you had. So... I never noticed it. I just knew there was good food afterwards. But now looking back, I'm like, yeah, there was traditional meals, Thanksgiving meals, stuffing, turkey in the oven, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was uh, their reaction was to that. But, you know, I think they came around there when they tried the meatballs. So, they're pretty good. I hope so. And then I think a lot of people don't realize is that holidays can be stressful, but I hope that you know, the more we learn about neurodiversity and we learn about, you know, our own personal regulation that becomes easier. Um, an example would be like when our kids were babies, like we made sure to pack an extra bottle or pack extra clothes if we were going to stay. Cause my husband's family, usually it's an all day event. It's not as simple as going to visit, leaving and then going home. Yeah. It's usually, you know, if you're if you're going to stay, you're going to stay for, like, what, a good four to five hours? Four to five. Because, I mean, some of these people, you know, when I grew up, we all lived in the same city. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad's youngest of ten, like I said. Um, and they all stay in the same city. But now, when you get together, you may not see these people again until that same holiday next year. Yeah. So it's more of an all-day, like you said, experience, more than just a visit, hey, and bye. So... Well, I know your cousins kind of, like, if their kids are going to spend the night, they'll bring pajamas or they'll bring clothes for them to get comfortable in. And to talk more about the kind of the sensitive clothes aspect, we've kind of always never forced our daughter. I know I've I've posted about this before, but, like, I think it's easy as a new mom to be like, oh, I'm going to put the cutest bow on this baby or I'm going to put this hair clip. But we've been more attuned to her sensitivities or we we give her more autonomy to talk about that so we don't force her to do her hair a way she doesn't want to we don't force her to wear certain dresses that might be scratchy just because they look cute for a picture and even for our son like he's we've we've worn more like sweaters we don't really do like the tie or a suit that's like constricting he'll wear like a button-down shirt yeah. Put some khaki pants and, you know. Which I think for Easter, he, like, got overheated and we let him take off that. Yeah, yeah. But undershirts, like, yeah, we'll we'll have, like, underclothes as, like, a, almost like a sensory buffer. Yeah. Um, But also being very aware of shoes. Like, if our, we make sure to, like, ask friends and family, like, can our kids take off their shoes? Or, like, we'll make sure if they can keep their socks on and <laughs> try to. Um, and I think that was a, a shift for you too, which I think most people practice now since COVID is in our home, we do take off our shoes as soon as we enter the door, which not everybody else does. And I know it's like a shock when our kids go to somebody else's house, <laughs> like they the don't shoes come right off. Yeah. 
every time. But also, just to move in, I think we can also talk about how we deal with presents because we had a shift this year where we kind of actually asked our kids, and for frame of reference, they're six and four right now, but we asked them, do you want more toys or do you want a trip? And our kids said a trip. And we try to keep it open just because budget can change, weather can change, my husband's job schedule can change. Um, so I know a lot of families, they might benefit from like a visual schedule. And one example of that would be was like a visual schedule for the holiday season. So you could either write it or you can print it out. You can have your child help you understand what they want to do, what they expect. And these can help reduce anxiety and provide a sense of control for not just the parent and not just the child, but the family. Uh, for me and my husband, like I'll send him ideas on Facebook. Like if there's a cool event that I see and if we agree on it together, we'll either write it on our family calendar in the kitchen or I'll add it to the family calendar on Google. Um, but it just helps us prepare for changes and we check in with each other. Um, like a lot of things that we do is like, I would honestly kind of describe it as like open planning. And I like it because it creates a dialogue of, you know, what are, what are, what's the plan here? You know, because a lot of times when you get into the everyday grind, grind of life <laughs> and work and you, you forget to even ask, what are we going to do for this day? So. Yeah, and a lot of my anxiety comes from, not so much, I don't, honestly, I have to say since I, I quit social media in 2016 and then I'm back on it most recently this year, not just for advocacy, but in my personal life too, but I do like having that visual record and timeline of our celebrations throughout the year but I kind of know that it's a curated look and I'm kind of happy that nobody really knows what we do day to day <laughs> like I'm, I'm glad for that yeah. but I know that there's kind of like landmarks that our kids expect and like a good example is this year usually we go to a his family's Halloween party. And we're not doing that this year because there's a new baby coming into the family. So obviously they're gonna focus their efforts on that, but it's our job to figure out what will our kids like? Do we go to a local event? Do we find somewhere like Chuck E. Cheese almost that they can do trick-or-treating in a safe environment? And my husband is in law enforcement, so we have to be aware of, you know, certain things happening locally there's a lot of crime that also happens around halloween yeah. not to say that we're we're scared like well i have a quick like were you ever scared of drugs in your candy as a kid no negative <laughs> no. like i feel like that was it, it was, was big <laughs> it was big around the time we were younger and it was always you know did you have to pour yours out and check i had to pour mine out and check and see what was in there I felt like it was a parent, I feel generally like some parent made it up so they had an excuse to go through the candy to pick all the good stuff because that's what my mom did. Well, it wasn't the drug <laughs> to me, it was that the rumor of razors. Yes, razors and the apples, which for me, I was like, who's getting an apple on Halloween? Like, I don't want an apple. <laughs> candy apple, maybe. <laughs> right. But I, I know the fear but I almost felt like like why were you going out of your way to make parents already anxious as if parenting isn't already hard exactly yeah but yeah I didn't fear necessarily I remember like one year we <laughs> my mom sorted the candy 
And we saved the candy and then we forgot it in our kitchen cabinet and then it got old and we just had to throw it out. Oh, man. My mom would definitely take it and hide it and uh, give it to us in doses. Yes. And I think one thing is like a lot of maybe not all neurodivergent people realize is that there's like this idea of social stories that kind of helps you manage anxiety too. But how we use it isn't necessarily kind of like arbitrary way, but... We'll have our kids, like, well, we learned it from our previous jobs in call centers, but role-playing. And so, like, if there's, like, a good example is, like, when our kids were toddlers and we knew we were going to other families' house and we wanted them to feel confident practicing their autonomy, we would go ahead and practice and be like, well, hey, if somebody asks you for a hug and you don't want to give them a hug, what do you say? And we kind of, like, not give them a script, but we'd help them in a safe environment rehearse what they wanted to say. So they had a few phrases in their back pocket to go through. And even today, like, our kids, we we know they learned it from Daniel Tiger, too, of, like, certain Mm -hmm. phrases they feel comfortable saying, like, hey, well, I'll give you a high five instead of a hug. Or, um, well, our son is a big hugger. But we kind of, like, helped him mitigate if somebody doesn't want to give him a hug like don't go and try and force that hug but give somebody an option of like a high five or a fist bump or something more appropriate in that manner um but to talk about more sensory sensitivities i think it's not always winter holidays but it's definitely like fourth of july i know we always keep like our headphones for the kids in the in the car and we've done that since they were a baby because we're in the south and there's a lot of reenactments or like even not even just civil war but there's like a lot of just general war reenactments or um there's like a farm down the road that does reenactments and a lot of them deal with loud noises or loud machinery so we've always had the ear you can call them ear defenders or headphones in the car just in case our kids do feel uncomfortable but they still want to enjoy the experience. Um, I kind of wish like we almost thought of that with like nose clips. Cause we did get like a free ticket to go to the zoo for our daughter. Oh yeah. And we that didn't- was un- fun. <laughs> we, I totally forgot how powerful the smells are at a zoo. And as soon as you go into the Atlanta Zoo, there's flamingos and they, for whatever reason, had just used the bathroom. So there was a strong smell of urine and an accommodation we made up was, well, clip your nose and put your, or to put your t-shirt over your nose and then clip it. And that kind of helped her. Um, I feel bad <laughs> that we didn't think of it before. Uh, but I'm glad she felt supported in a way to still enjoy the experience and not let that powerful smell kind of ruin the day for her. And, and I would even say like, for us, like, if our kids do get dysregulated, we don't make it a big deal if they do want to leave. Um, and it's a lot easier when you get free tickets, too. That's true. It's I know it's harder if we do pay a lot of money to go to an event. And I think that's kind of deterred us a lot of times from going to certain events. And I wish more event holders realize that. Is that, you know, when you ask parents to pay like $50, $60 for a ticket... And you have a child that you have to prioritize their sensory needs. Like, it's hard for me to force my kid to stay just because they don't understand the difference between money. But also, like, our kids knowing that we have the accommodations 
allows them to, I believe, mentally be okay with staying somewhere like the concert we went to. Like it wasn't a question for them to leave because they know they have what they need available. Yeah, and I think the COVID pandemic changed that too because Amazon has definitely made more uh, accommodations or available. Um, Because I remember like when, before we had kids, like they were kind of expensive. But I think since everybody's aware of sensory needs now, ear defenders or headphones are a lot more accessible and a lot cheaper. Um, Like an example is the concert. Like they offered even the regular earphones um, for us, but we were like, nope, we got them already. And, you know, if we want to go to a baseball game or a sports game, like Amazon has made like the clear bags um, easier to buy. So we have like a backpack for you and a purse for me. Um, But also I wanted to like, do you want to share about your experience of the father daughter dance? Because that's kind of become a winter tradition for us. Oh, yeah. Um, And that's another thing about the sensory was, you know, we go to the father daughter dance the first two times we're at her school. Mm-hmm. and the last time was somewhere else and both were very loud environments as you imagine with the, the music And um, but it's one of those things where she when she needed it she used the headphones when she didn't she took them off had a blast you know it wasn't um, and I saw a lot more kids there using them this last time so she didn't feel you know, I know. I wish they excluded. had like the silent, silent disco headphones almost for young kids in those situations. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. But I remember you you told me because we got her a, like a little because she loves Frozen and Elsa. So she and she loves the color blue. So I made sure that when I purchased the dress, I scrolled and I showed her and she approved the dress before I bought it. And we also got like a blue cape to go with it. And so I remember you telling me how she used the cape to kind of cover a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, she did. She used everything to her at her disposal and you know just I think it's because she knows that it's okay to be you know seen you know with those sensitivities you know I think kids well, I hope who, we've made it her feel comfortable being different exactly I think that's a lot of it. I think a lot of kids who don't feel that way will just like I guess suffer through I guess and you can tell in their face the ones who don't really want to be there, you yeah. know, and I'm glad that's not her, so. Do you have any kind of experiences during the holidays where you felt like you did have to suffer through? Not me, not really. See, and I think the reason why I was so adamant about purchasing the headphones was because I did have that memory of, because my mom is very ADHD, but she is very much where she enjoys loud sounds, she enjoys chaos and <laughs> environments that are more exciting um and uh, like definitely novelty seeking and i i would say like that's not always a bad thing because we we seek novelty too we don't want to go to the same place twice all the time like if it's a tradition it's different but we like variety and but i remember as a kid where she didn't teach me how to close my ears when there was loud fireworks but she expected me to know how and i definitely as a young child started to resent her for that implicit instruction because I would always think well didn't you have these sensitivities too which now I know I probably got them from my dad more than her but she didn't exactly have the tools or know how to explain to me how to do certain things because she wasn't given those tools as a child Mm. 
So now with neurodiversity, I kind of view my history with more empathy versus resentment just because she did the best she could. She thought she was taking me to an event that all kids would enjoy, which I mean, most of these events are marketed yeah, for neurotypical kids, kids <laughs> that people assume will enjoy them. Um, another example is she took me to Disney. And, you know, a lot of kids will be like, well, I mean, your parent obviously spent you a lot of money, so you should enjoy every aspect of it. And a lot of my childhood, like, me and my sister both felt like we were considered selfish or ungrateful if we ever spoke up or spoke out about how we felt uncomfortable. Like, an example is bridges. Like, if we ever went on a trip and my sister had to cross a bridge... She didn't have like a diagnosis of a fear of heights, but she did not like the idea of being on a really tall bridge. And I you know you kind of have like an experience with your family. Yeah, my mom was the same way with bridges, very much the same way. And uh, we went to, we took a day trip to Jekyll Island one time and there's a big bridge there. And we actually, it was so bad that we turned around and went home, didn't even do the trip. She was so scared. But yeah, same thing. It was horrible. Yeah, I know that's that that's tough to talk about because I know there's so much to unpack in there because you know, you feel like as an adult like you should grow out of those certain things or you shouldn't be sensitive at a certain age. But it is hard. And I wouldn't even say that people overcome it. I feel like the older you get, you realize more of the bigger picture of oh, my goal is where I want to be versus what I'm currently dealing with or struggling with right now. And I would say that because like I, I've i seen both sides of it. I remember as a kid, I would see and empathize with my sister of how she could be scared. Because I mean, yeah, you're high up. Like how did people build that bridge in the first place? I can't comprehend. Yeah. But I know how to calm my brain down from that point. Um, and I mean to my mom's respect like it's not like anybody taught me that but I definitely feel like I'm glad our kids know more about social emotional learning and know about breath work and breathing because we've seen those times with our kids like especially well I know we talked about this in the past but like even medical issues like when our daughter went to the hospital or are both of our kids dealing with dental work and, you know, they they have these tools and we've done the work as parents to give them these tools to handle any experience that they are thrown. Yeah, try or, to. Yeah, we try to at least. <laughs> but also, let's talk about, I love how you mentioned that we do create that safe space. And it's not so much that, like, I, I don't want to give a false sense of security to parents listening that, oh, well, you know, if you do these 10 steps, it'll be perfect. Like, no. Yeah, nothing's perfect on that. Yeah. Well, another thing is, like, we have done a lot of trial and error. Like, we haven't been to a movie theater since our kids have been born because we tried to go and it didn't work out. And we weren't going to have our kids suffer just because we paid or a family friend paid for a movie. When we have the accessibility to watch a movie at home yeah. or we've been to drive-through movie experiences and we had good experiences um so another thing i want to bring up is kind of looking for some sensory friendly events i know a lot of things are that we like especially since covid happened is there's a lot more outdoor events and something about being outdoors and just 
I would even say like knowing that we have the option to go home is a safety. And I would, I know a lot of people like around like the fall time go to fairs, but I remember as a kid feeling uneasy about being, once you enter that gate and you're locked in, that you can't easily leave. And I don't know what told me to think about that, but I know like uh, the difference was like when me and you went to like Six Flags together or like Wild Adventures, I felt safe because I was with you. And even no matter what, like I knew that we could handle it together. And I feel like that's the same way with the holidays. Like if there's a family event and I feel like I'm like dysregulated or if I'm having anxiety, I feel safer with you versus like my mom I kind of always knew if we were going to an event I was going to have to like keep myself safe because if she was stuck talking to somebody we were never leaving <laughs> yeah, yeah. That but I also want to mention like there's a lot of social interactions that you can't always prepare for at events and I think it's important to talk to kids and explain to them that you know we as a family might celebrate a holiday one way not everybody else does. And a good point to bring up is Santa. So do you want to talk about how, like how Santa was brought up in your house when you were younger? Yeah, I was brought up that Santa was, you know, a guy that comes in the house and drops toys off. And until, you know, I was about, say, seven or eight. And then... My parents just kind of let that slide. <laughs> they they just like, all right, well, this is what we got you. So, and uh, it wasn't really a find out type deal. It was more. But of did a, you and your siblings ever like look for presents and stuff? No, no, didn't really? didn't look. It was almost as like we knew deep down. Like it's like I always knew it was from them. So I didn't really. I never. It's not something I ever like. I didn't. I wish I did. But I never believed. In, like, the Christmas spirit type of way. Yeah. So, I mean, I just never... I wish I did. I I mean, I wish that would be cool. Right. But I had a cousin that was deathly afraid (laughs) that Santa came into her house. Like, she did not want anybody in her house. And, you know, her parents had to promise her to stay... They'll stay up and watch after the house and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think we have a unique childhood, too. Because, like, I feel like the 90s were, like, prime for cool Christmas stuff because we didn't just have Santa. We had the Grinch. We had... Because that was on TV, like, every year at that point. I love, like, the animation, the claymation of, like, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We had Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, Also, what was the other thing? I mean, mean, we had, like, a lot of iconic... Well, Santa Claus the movie, which are getting reboots now. Like, and then... Alvin and the Chipmunks. To me, the presents were... This is when technology was booming, right? I mean, PlayStation came out. Toys R Us. I mean, this was... I mean, Game Boy came out. Yes. So it was... Forget saying, I want to know what's in the under the tree, right? (laughs) That was my thinking, so... Well, and I... My thing is, too, like, we both have fall birthdays. So I think that kind of benefited us because... Our birthdays were around like the best movies. We had Harry Potter. Yep. We had like all the good movies coming out. Like even this year, like I know my birthday doesn't really mean much because like the new Trolls movies come in. <laughs> like, There's like, always something coming out on your birthday. Yes. But, and well, your birthday is near Halloween, so you kind of. 
<laughs> got both of that. But for me growing up, my parents didn't really make Santa a huge deal. And that's because my dad's the atheist and my mom, she says she's Christian, but she was more of like the 90s, like born again Christian. She, she liked the concept more than the actual practice. But I remember like my mom, when she was dating this guy, and it was like the, one of the years that she decided to fill up the tree with presents because she wanted to impress the guy that she was a really good mom. And I noticed, and I mentioned to my sister, I was like, wait, all these presents that say Santa have my mom's handwriting. And my sister just like laughed at me because she's eight years older. So she already knew. Right. And I remember I was like, well, all my friends at school are like putting out cookies and milk for Santa. Do you want to do that? And like, my mom was just like, no, I'm not having ants in the house. But she did let me put carrots like out um, to okay. claim like the reindeer were going to come in. The only thing the cool that we did growing up was every year we had a, what's it called? Something that rocks. It's a like, sled or? Oh, uh, you put a baby in. Um, oh, a cradle. A cradle. We had a wooden cradle and it would um, be empty at the beginning. And every time, like, say, I made my sister's bed for her, I'd put hay in the cradle. Mm. And then at the end, it'll be full. And then it's just how we saw how much good you can do for somebody else. So you draw somebody's name from a cup at the beginning of the day, and you had to do something good for them. It started before Thanksgiving ended in the new year. Mm. So that's something we did every year. Well, that's one thing I would say that me and you've implemented definitely in our parenting is that we try to incorporate gratitude with every holiday. So, like, I got this cheap little tree from Michael's and, like, we'll put our family's name on the little leaves and we put it in our kitchen. But since our daughter started reading in this past year, I remember last year she started reading the names. And she was like, what is this for? And we told her, like, well, you know, Thanksgiving is about gratitude. We want to show people that we're grateful for them. We're grateful for our family. And we definitely translated that into Christmas because, like, I'll be honest with y'all. Like, you have an address and you want some free toys. I wish we could send it to you because our kids' room is just covered. Covered. Covered in toys. Swimming toys. And it's not even that they don't play with them. They do play with them because they drag them everywhere. But I tried to tell my kids because my mom told me, and I know, like, hoarder, I don't I don't view hoarding as a bad thing. I think it's, like, a deeply hunter-gatherer tradition. My sister's really good at hoarding. Like, almost, like, envy her because if she would have kept hoarding, like, she saved all her good toys and 90s attire and stuff. She would have made a killing on ebay yeah. today but our kids it's not even that they hoard they just know that they like it in their closet for whatever reason so we've kind of made it tradition starting last year of let's clear out the old toys and the big tradition well the transition is usually like they don't play with the baby toys they don't play with the dog toddler toys oh, they just like to know they're there Yes, like as soon as we bring them out and separate them, they're like, wait, I haven't seen that toy in forever. Um, but we try to tell them like, hey, you know, well, we in our house, we try to treat Santa as like another character that they can learn about. So we don't necessarily lie to our kids and be like, oh, Santa's coming to bring you toys. I know we talked about like, in, like the older they get, like, because they asked for Santa toys. So we kind of treat the stocking as like the toys that Santa gives them. 
But I told my kids, I was like, you know, Santa can't just buy all these toys all the time or make toys. You know, some of these toys we have to donate yeah. it to help other kids that aren't as fortunate. And I love incorporating gratitude with that kind of idea. So they have like a more concrete concept of, oh, when I see my toy, which we have gone to Goodwill, and they saw toys that we've donated. Yeah. <laughs> they know it's going to a home that needs that toy. And we've kind of, it's surreal to me that we're at the point where they are big enough and they're pretty much in the same clothing size. Um, but we've really fully transitioned this year out of all of our baby stuff and out of all the toddler stuff. Feels good. So good. And, you know, for other families that are still having babies, like, no, no judgment. Like, good luck. Right. <laughs> Like, and the more power to you. But we stopped it, too, because, honestly, that's... I, I think I would be totally dysregulated if we had more than two. I don't yeah. think my mental health could handle more than two. I don't think my anxiety could handle more than two. Um, I know my mom, personally, couldn't handle more than two. And, like, even looking back, like, do you understand... Like, do you ever think, like, how did my parents handle more than two kids? I mean, I think we're so spread out. I mean, me and my oldest sister are 13 months apart, and then, you know, you know, my brother, seven years after me, and then seven years after him is my youngest sister. So if it wasn't for the spread out, how spread out we were, I don't think it would have been hard. But because we were so spread out, I mean, you remember when I moved in with you when we were dating, my sister was the age of our kids now. Yeah. So... It's almost like a passing of the torch more than it was we all had to live together, you know, so. That's well, we recently had the conversation because his youngest baby sister has a job now and she wants to do stuff for her kids for Halloween and she wants to do certain things, but she's also in high school and needs to prepare for college. So we kind of told her in the nicest way possible, like, focus on, like, do you, boo-boo, because... Like, we remember when, like, his oldest sister has kids that we wanted to, you know, help them and help his siblings, you know, and help his parents. And, I mean, spoil. Yeah, you like, once you have money and you want to spoil your family members, that's nice. But I think it's hard when you have time blindness or if you have ADHD and the ADHD tax and you lose track of spending money during the holidays. Like, there's a lot of people... That do buy a lot. And then what What do you yep. do the next day? You return it all. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So we've kind of like given her permission to be like, hey, like our, our family, we do value more spending time together as a gift during the holidays versus a materialistic view. But I remember, you remember what our son's face looked like when I told your sister's head in the car? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, no, buy me stuff. <laughs> Which, I mean, we get. Like, I'm not going to judge our kids if they do just want toys right now. Like, that's what you want as a yeah, child. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a fine line because I remember we talked to your dad about that. And even my mom talks about it. Like, it's hard when you are a kid and you're growing up. I would even say, like, in between poverty and middle class. Nobody really talks about how difficult it is of when you see your parents do have money but if they use that money to pay the mortgage or yeah, pay the rent yeah. or pay the car note and you think, you don't well, understand no. like where that money goes. Exactly. And I think the problem is a lot of neurodivergent and gifted kids 
So we sometimes see that and we internalize it either as, oh, my parents don't love me because they're not spending money on me. Or I know as a gifted kid, I kind of, well, it was always twofold because my sister always felt mad and upset that my mom didn't spend more money on her. Um, where me, I guess, cause I grew up eight years later where my mom did have more of a stable job. I kind of knew I was okay with her paying the mortgage or paying the rent instead of buying me a toy because I was like, well, that's a roof over our head. And so my mom always praised me inadvertently because I thought like that. But at the same time, she should have noticed like, Hey, this is a kid realizing the financial burden there's something going on here. Maybe well, there's... I grew, up, <laughs> I grew up, I mean, it was, my parents, whether they were too open or not can be debated, but I grew up knowing our financial restraints as a family and our place in society. So, I mean, I'm with you on that. If I didn't have toys under the tree, which I usually did because, you know, they found a way. My dad, I think, grew up in a, time where his parents just you know couldn't afford to give him stuff so he made sure we had it so whether that was one toy or two or three we had something but I also understood like I I know why I only have one two or three you know so and I think our generation is definitely seeing that shift of maybe it's not so great to have like a material hold on gift giving during birthdays holidays and kind of this like over consumerism view of things where we can actually spend money and it can be on a really cool trip or we can be at a really cool museum and I know a lot of things especially in like the structured literacy world is a lot of parents are trying to educate people that you should really invest in what your kids not just are good at but what they enjoy because if you're spending money on something that they hope they like you have to be okay with wasting that money or see that money not be invested. And like an example is like, how do you feel about your childhood? Like, do you feel like you got the gifts that you wanted or would you be happier if your family invested more in like baseball or a certain sport that you wanted to play? Uh, Like I said, my situation is different. Like even if it wasn't a gift that I didn't want necessarily, like I knew Maybe it's the only thing they could afford. My That's thinking true. of the time was, oh, I'm going to enjoy this because I'm not getting another one. And you didn't want to, I was I was very, you know, wanting to please my parents. Like, oh, I love this. So even, if, even if I didn't, I think I forced myself to actually believe that I wanted that gift. Like, that pack of underwear is the best pack of underwear I've ever gotten. You yeah. know, like, like <laughs> that, was, that was what it was like. So, I mean, I didn't really have the the choice per se to demand a gift that some of my other family members probably had that choice of writing down a list or doing things like that so well, that's true. I think we've talked about that too of like how we're budgeting around like I, I mentioned to you like one year is probably like a good time to invest in like certain activities where another year is probably good to invest in like certain trips And the only reason I know that is because from my childhood, like if my mom had a lump sum of money at the end of the year, she would always contact her friends that lived out of state. And she had a friend that would have a hotel in Myrtle Beach. And so my mom would pay for half the room and they'd both, we'd all stay as a family and we'd all bring like meals and we'd hang out. 
And like my favorite memories were literally jumping from the jacuzzi to the ocean and be like, ah, I see a shark. And then run back to the hotel. Well, yeah, we, one year we did go to, you know, the mountains and in a cabin with a friend of uh, my mom's, uh, the same friend that did the Halloween stuff. And, um, and that was one of the best years. Christmases, you know, it was around Christmas. I don't think it was on Christmas, mm-hmm. but it was like right before. But that was one of the best years I've had holiday wise. It was fun. So, well, I think we've kind of noticed that that our kids enjoy. I mean, I've talked about this before, but our kids enjoy day trips. And last year, we kind of made like a fun little tradition of we go to a state park, and a lot of state parks have ornaments. And so we got like what it was like two ornaments last year. Yeah. And it's kind of like a fun family tradition to not just have, like, I mean, obviously that's also consumerism, but you see where your money goes. And it, you feel less guilty when you're supporting something that is a part of conservation or environmentalism. Do you have any thoughts on, like, well, I would say even, like, how do you feel about gifts that aren't always... Maybe, like, gifts that keep on giving, almost. Or have you gotten any kind of gifts that you remember? Like, I feel like a lot of things... Yeah, I mean, like, like I told you, the best gift I've ever gotten from my family on Christmas was one gift. It was, like, we only, they, look, my family was going through a tough time, and they said, look, we can get you one thing. And it was a time where they actually listened to what I wanted. And mm-hmm. we still have in our house today is a yeah. picture of a big Yankees fan, a picture of Yankee Stadium. And so, yeah, that's a gift that, to me that keeps on giving. I get to look at it every day. But it was, like you said, it was, they actually listened to what I wanted. So, Well, know. I think that's an important thing to talk about is because even though we both have parents that have forms of ADHD, it's not the same exact experience because my mom... She, I don't know if she knew about her ADHD and spending, but I feel like looking back, maybe she did a little bit. But another difference in our childhood is, like, my husband, like, his family always makes a point to kind of prior to the event, okay, I need to spend money on this holiday. Where my mom, she taught me, like, hey, if you got the money now and you see it on sale, buy it and save it. And I think that was new for you to do. Where yeah. you saw me, and which it probably comes from hoarding, um, or gathering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My family is much more of a. I'm gonna set this amount aside for the holidays, you know. Um, and that's just what we're gonna. Well, what's spend. the term that your mom said she loved? Is um, it happened in the '90s that a lot of people don't realize is layaway. Oh, layaway was a big thing. Yeah, my my mom would would use layaway uh, especially Kmart mm. when they had their layaway she would use that a lot um, for clothes toys all that kind of stuff and see my mom I remember she would say that like she didn't like layaway or she she always criticized my sister's uh, dad because he would always like do finger hut or certain like um, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar today of like uh, the websites now that like let you pay like oh pay, pay this in installments or this and that. But my mom's mom grew up during depression. So she was very weary of any kind of installments or credits or any of that. So she always had cash. And she would always save up cash in an envelope and do those certain things. And my mom, unfortunately, didn't learn that trait. But my mom is always weary of credit cards. But she, we would watch sales. 
and I've mentioned this before in posts is like it's almost I wouldn't say a special interest of mine but like I'm really good and I know a lot of women are but I know a lot of there's a lot of couples that it's usually either one partner or the other is good at finding sales and there's something like if you tell me you like if you want something I'll say okay cool send me the title or the link and I'll use Google and the shopping like algorithm to find like the cheapest price but still maintain like the quality you're looking for um but like I also follow a lot of like freebie um accounts on social media so I know like there's certain stores have clearance schedules and it, I mean honestly it's just a pattern it's pattern recognition yeah um but I wish like more people knew about it in a, in a sense that like we could use that power of <laughs> materialism to all benefit us all yeah. um because I know it's probably not equitable for us to be able to afford some of the name brand toys when they're on clearance just because I have the ability to stay home and stock the internet um and I don't know if I can teach other people to do that and I don't know if it's smart to do it either it's just what works for us um but to move on do you feel like there's any kind of expectations when it comes to our family of how we celebrate the holidays actually I think it's like the opposite it's like the absence of expectation the way we do it well, we've managed our expectations yeah yeah so, I mean we don't I don't expect anything from you as far as okay what's your family doing this year you know or and you don't expect you it so easy <laughs> you don't expect it from me as far as what is your family doing this year unless it's one of those well I think it's shifted to our kids we kind of yeah it's kind of like, what do y'all feel like? What are you feeling up to, you know? And Well, I think it shifted when I was pregnant because I remember I feel like I did put a lot of pressure on it because I did, even if I felt uncomfortable around some family members, I would force myself to deal with it because I thought it was for the greater good of our relationship, that we were building relationships with our kids, with these people. And looking back, I mean, I don't regret it. Um, cause I know I made that choice in the moment. I'm glad we had those memories and experiences to look back on. Um, I mean, I wish things were different sometimes that people were more accepting of our relationship, you know, it's, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I, I just think for me growing up and till now, like I think the only time my life was stress free was the holidays mm. cause it was the only time. You know, I got to see all of my family all in one place, or even some of mine saw my grandparents. You know, there were times I didn't get to see them a lot. Well, is and it the only time you saw your dad off of work, too? Well, yeah, because he did work a lot, swing shift, that kind of, and you know. And so, yeah, it was, it was one of those times where the whole family's together, and it was less, for us anyways, less of what we're receiving than what the experience was. Well, that's, I think it's a good time to talk about, like, how when we were before kids and even before we were married, we prioritized making money because the jobs we were working would pay you time and a half or oh, double yeah. nice. during the holidays. Yeah, right. <laughs> and there was one time I remember we both got hazard pay just because, like, there was, like, a threat of snow and, like, our whole state shuts down with, like, an inkling of snow. Um... But I know that definitely shifted as soon as we got married. 
because we wanted to spend more time with family and then it shifted again when we had kids and I know it's hard to explain to people that shift because your values do change you don't value of oh how much money can I make to buy toys for my kids it's how much time can I take off or am I allowed off to spend time with my kids oh yeah 100% that's the majority of you know my process and thinking even the job I have now is in part because of the time off that I do receive to spend time with y'all around the holidays so and I think it's just individual I mean we're very family oriented I mean this isn't gonna be the same for you know parents that do both work outside the home or parents that have to work together and I think that's okay because my sister is very much where she feels better when she is working and she knows that she has grandparents and great grandparents that will treat her son in a way that isn't just inclusive. Like he absolutely is loved in that family where my mom, she's in another state and we kind of have to explain to our kids like, yes, you're going to see physical toys for grandma, but that's her love language. That's how she shows her love to you and I know that's not easy but that's honestly how my childhood was was my mom did show her love with purchases and it's because she didn't get that when she was a child she didn't always value like her mom was that mom that like forced her to come inside from playing and we're gonna have family time we're gonna have holiday I made this pork roast you're gonna eat this pork roast (laughs) And so, moving on, how do you feel about traditions versus making our own traditions? And also, is there any value to being, like, a family that does celebrate differently? Well, I I personally think that traditions are important. I think that it gives, at least for me growing up, like I told you, I, I expected certain things. Like, I expected to see my grandparents on Christmas Eve. Yeah. I expected them to come and see our toys that we got that Christmas. They went around to all the families, and you had to put your toys you got for Christmas on your bed, and they would come and look at them. Oh, and cool. you get to show, you know, I got to show uh, Papa my toys, you know. and, and That's was, also, you, like, kind of accountability for the parents. Oh, yeah. It, it was. And, you know, it don't matter how little you got. You know, my grandma and grandpa would be like, that's the coolest toy they saw today. Yeah. And it made you feel good. And, um, well, compared to their um, childhood, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. But no, I think tradition's great, but I also don't think you should live and die by it. Yeah. You know, things change. My family dynamics change with the passing of my grandparents. Right? Yeah, if we win the lottery and we go on a cruise, like, I'm not sticking to a, a tradition yeah. at home. No. <laughs> But it's good to have. It sets the tone, I think. That's And I feel like that's my difficulty of talking to people about the benefit and kind of takeaways of routines. Because I feel like our family is unique in that sense of we do value our own routine, but we don't compare ourselves to, like, let's say a neurotypical family and their routine. We don't compare ourselves to others. Um, I mean, that's inevitably a thief of joy but we I would say we compare ourselves to the year before and I feel like I'm so excited for this holiday season because it's our first year where our kids are grown 
Potty trained. Potty trained. And they know themselves. They're better attuned to their own body. And so, like, I know that getting dressed is going to be easier. I know that getting their shoes on and getting out the door is going to be easier. Taking pictures are easier. Taking pictures. And, and we're okay. And they know how to use their voice to tell us, hey, that's enough. I'm done with pictures. Or our son. He'll be like, hey, can you take my picture? Uh, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> all the time. But I'm so looking forward to... I mean, I am sad that we have to drive so far just to get a traditional, like, mall experience. Yeah. Because I feel like that's both me and you's childhood is going to... It's not necessarily even taking pictures with Santa. I mean, we have Bass Pro Shop for that, too. But I... Do you want to share some of, like, your favorite experiences of just, like, seeing holidays shift, like, in the town or in, in the store? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in a a city, you know, right in the middle of our It's our a metro. State. I would say metro. Yeah, and so, but it was very, it still is very holiday-oriented. Mm. Like, like this whole town, it seems like, there's whole streets that go out for Halloween or whole streets that put Christmas lights up. So, I mean, that, that was a big thing for us was going out and seeing those and going to, you know, the mall that was there when it was at its height was just amazing. Santa's there. And you got all this, you know, fake snow all over the ground and, and everything. Well, so. I would even say, like, we don't have, like, New York, like, window shopping. Like, we did no. go to Lenox Mall when we were before kids, and yes. it was nice. Like, I'm telling y'all, like, I I, I want to cry for, like, the people in Atlanta now that don't get to experience Lenox Mall. Or, like, we went to Perimeter Mall, and yeah. we like to go to Kennesaw Mall up in Atlanta. Um, even the – we've gotten to go to the German uh, – celebrations up in Atlanta. Um, Even in Helen. Yes, like we've been to Helen. And these are like iconic places that if our millennial generation does not keep them alive, they're going to be gone. And it makes me sad to think that, like I understand people don't understand, you know, poverty and crime is not going away if we don't take care of our society and our people and understand like I fundamentally do feel like if we understand neurodiversity it will help all of our complaints that we currently have but just like simple nostalgia that we have as children because like the mall was really a signal for me as a kid of like where you could see your friends outside of school Mm -hmm. where you could see family in their outside of like the performative holiday environment and it's funny because like I think it's a shift we've seen since Black Friday. I mean, there's a lot of things that mean you wait to buy during Black Friday that helps us as a family. But I remember going to, like, Thanksgiving with your family, and immediately everybody would be at Target. <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. Look, my family, especially on my dad's side, you know, the the girls in the family, right? You see them with their bags coming in for Thanksgiving because they're staying but you said they house. took a limo one time, right? Oh, yeah. They go out. I mean, they'll go out, and but it's not the same, I don't think. I don't think Black Friday's the, the same as it used to be. And Which I don't you know, think is a bad thing. I know me and you kind of did, like, the REI, like, go outdoors type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's good to kind of marry both of those traditions, because I don't think we have to always shop or purchase to get that dopamine hit or that novelty hit um that our brains are seeking but i do appreciate 
certain things of like when we do go out or on day trips and it's just like a like a souvenir almost yeah of and like a well i think we have a good balance of so like obviously i feel like i don't know if you can tell me this is true but when we first started dating even now i feel like you look to me as what a tradition supposed to be validation yes and i look to you of what a spontaneous event it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> because everything, you know, I was told, like, all right, Christmas Eve, we're going to Grandma's house. And then... Well, I think... It, yeah. After Christmas, we're going to my mom's side of the family. So, it was always... Well, so I do feel like when we started getting jobs, people would ask us what our plans were. And I remember we worked at a call center, and people judged us because we got Lunchables. Yeah. But we didn't care. Like it was cheap. It was it was turkey lunchables like for Thanksgiving. It was it was cool. It was fine dining to me. Right. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because probably a lot of our listeners they're going to be going to church on Christmas Eve. When I was younger, we did a lot of church stuff, but as I got older, you know, around Christmas time, you know, my family just kind of took a step back from church, from churches in general, but it was still very religious around my house around Christmas. Like, it was very, um, we watched movies about, you know, the birth of Christ or, um, or just any kind of, like, spiritual movies around that time. Same with Easter. It was always, like, very spiritual time at our house. You want to tell them about your baby Jesus tradition? Oh, yeah, it was so cool. My grandparents would, at the beginning, before anybody arrived at their house, they had a set that had like the wise man, Mary, Joseph, like porcelain set that they always set up every year. And every year they would hide baby Jesus and allow the grandkids to, throughout the whole day you're looking. Like as soon as you arrive, you're looking for baby Jesus. And um, one of my cousins, he was so good at finding him. But, um, and whoever found him, you know, you got to place him into the um, cradle. Manger. Manger. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, they did a prayer and then, but it was really cool. And see, it's interesting for me because my mom used Christmas as a, an easy event for us to go to. And, and I've talked about this before, but like part of my religious trauma is she used the church as like free babysitters for me. So I was always a part of the choir. And so I had to go to her rehearsal, which was like, babysitting for her and we always had to perform Christmas songs and it didn't stop outside of church when I was in school and I was in choir I had to memorize like my husband doesn't realize like or even like my in-laws don't understand like how much indoctrination I have in my brain of I know the whole Charlie um, Brown Christmas catalog because we had to perform it in school and like that's interesting to me because like a lot of people assume that public school is secular in the South, it is not. I know Latin Christian songs because of my choir in public school experience. I know, and a lot of the solos are Christian related songs, yeah. which I'm sure a lot of music kids listening know that. Um, but yeah, like even like Hark the Herald Angels Will Sing, like any Christmas program music I memorized. And, and it was interesting because I wasn't, it's not that I grew up in like a town that was primarily Christian. Like we had 
Jewish students and Muslim students and everybody was had to learn these Christian songs. And it wasn't viewed as like indoctrination. It was viewed as Christmas. And it was viewed as just like this very American thing. And I would say the only experience I had outside of that was, and I've told you about this, is like one year, and it was so cool to me, was we had, I did have a few Jewish teachers, but one year they set up, I think it was like second grade for me, but we rotated um, at this time and each teacher set up a different holiday in their room. So we had like a Christmas in America room. We had like a Christmas in Germany room, Christmas in France, Christmas, um, like a traditional Hanukkah Christmas. And then even a, um, what's the other one? Like, I feel guilty because I've never celebrated it. Um, what's the traditional? But it's made by African-Americans. What's it called? You know what I'm talking about. This is my dyslexia. Um, <laughs> but like different ways to celebrate Christmas, essentially. And so we got to go to each room and like we celebrated how each different country or different like region would celebrate Christmas. And it was cool because it translated to a local museum that we still go to our kids today. But they have like Christmas trees around the world. Yeah, and yeah. Um, like you celebrate it in all these different ways and you see them. And it's funny to me to think that like my ancestors lived where they put candles on a Christmas tree and didn't burn the house down. Yeah, right. Like I don't, yeah. I don't see that happening. Um, <laughs> but it was so interesting as a kid to grow up in that atmosphere. But... I don't even know, like, do you think we'll ever go to, like, a church Christmas service with our kids? I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah, I don't know once. if they do that the same way we grew up anymore. Probably not. I don't know. Like I said, I, a lot of my church-going experience was when I was younger. Mm. You know, we had a pastor in the family. and But I never considered any church to be, like, my church. I never had a home church. Yeah. Maybe one, but, I mean, it didn't last long. So, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not, you know, I was never one of those, like, I never felt indoctrinated. My parents never said, you have to go do the choir. Yeah. Or, it was always, do you want to? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? My parents never forced me to do anything I never wanted to do. So, do you think it's because of their past of having to do it? It might be. It might be. You know, my dad was raised Catholic. There's a lot of have-tos. You know, you got to memorize this prayer or that prayer. So, um, but I was raised Southern Baptist. Yay. <laughs> um, so, but I also visited Methodist churches, non-denomination churches. I went to Catholic churches um, for my grandparents. Um, so, I mean, I've been to them. Well, I'd long. have to say for us, like, we enjoy the history aspect of religion and we selfishly do like the architecture of some churches. Like I think me and you, I could see us going to like a church service just to like oogle at the church architecture yes. <laughs> and like see the stained glass windows yes. and have that experience with our kids. Um, and I think another part of it is like, I know I've talked about it like my homeschool, like I'm not anti-religious, like I, I do want our kids to understand that religion is deeply ingrained in human history yeah. and it's definitely representative of diversity and equity and 
you know, there could be, like, right now when we're recording this, there's, like, world events going on with different groups. But we don't want our kids to feel like they're doing the right thing and everybody else is doing the wrong thing. Like, we definitely invite critical thinking into our home. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I wonder, like, how do you feel? Because I know a lot of people listening... It's interesting, the older we get with holidays, how do you feel about self-care and parenting during the holidays? And the way I ask that is because, like, I feel like my mom expected me and my sister kind of to somehow magically have money enough to, like, buy her things she wanted. But I remember my sister would always, like, I'm sure you remember in the 90s, like, it was always like, oh, the mom gift is like a spa day basket. And, like, my mom hated that gift. And, like, I, I noticed, like, on Mother's Day holidays, like, a lot of parents will, like, see, or even dads will make jokes of, like, I don't want another tie, or I don't want another sock. Um, but I do you feel like our generation's changing that? I think so, because just based on the gifts that, like, I give you or you give me, right? I feel like we model how to gift give a lot better. Yes, but I know what you want. I know your likes, dislikes, so I'm not going to do something, like, say give you that gift like a spa day if you don't go to the spa like I'm not one of those who's going to give you something you're not going to use and I would have to point out I think that's different from your generation because I know historically like a lot of husbands or men will be like well all your friends get this why don't why don't you like it sort of thing yeah but also it's the way I was raised was different Mm. you know like I said earlier I was my parents didn't really receive anything for Christmas from us because they put all their effort into us. Especially yeah. when I was younger, it was, you know, it, it was all of it was geared towards what was going to be under the tree. But do you now, feel my like... dad would definitely strive to get my mom something every year. I mean, I know he did. Well, I, I know you don't like that I don't like jewelry. <laughs> yes, and I love jewelry and I love gifting jewelry. Um, but there have been some pieces of jewelry that I've given you that you seem to yes. enjoy that. I like the I like the sentiment and the meaning behind a gift. Same, yeah, yeah. Like when you give me stuff that I'm, like you'll give me something that books, books <laughs> or something I'm interested in, like you know some Yankees stuff, either a book or a baseball card or something that I've talked about. So I like that kind of stuff. Well, I think it's a good kind of advice to give people is like when it comes to neurodiversity. If you know somebody's special interest, I wouldn't say, like, it's always a great gift, you know, like, because there are some Yankees things, I'm sure, that you've gotten that you didn't always enjoy. Yeah. Um, But for me, I kind of, my rule of thumb is, like, either, you know, it's a special interest, it's something a person can use, or it's something somebody can wear, or it's something somebody can read. And I've noticed that shift with Pinterest, and I know my mom hated me for sending it to her, but I love how people are kind of simplifying like gift categories and I've noticed it in shopping especially with like how we purchase things I see it reflected in how like kind of they market stuff especially when I I remember it was like when our kids were still toddlers but there's a lot of mommy and me or daddy and me items and I think those are so cute and fun but I think it's perfect for special interest because there's a lot of like baseball stuff that we can get for you and our son and you can do it together or there's like arts and crafts that you can get for me and our daughter and we can do it together yeah 
and I mean, even like something simple as I, I bought the other day, like a, a puppetry little Halloween setup for our kids. And I messaged like my speech therapist, like friend on Instagram. Cause I was like, I think speech therapy is like influencing this. Cause I think the marketing world is recognizing that we don't just need educational. We need like social and emotional and open-ended toys. And I think that comes from, I feel like we had a lot more Fisher Price toys when we were kids. Cause I remember me and my sister like played a lot more oh, yeah. open-ended well, toys. I always felt like gifts either I received or somebody I knew, like a family member or a friend. Was could play all, with you. <laughs> but it was all based off of, you know, like ads on TV. True. You know, it was like yeah. the new, the movie came out, so get the toy for it. But now I feel like it's more, you know, like our kids are watching kids apps and it's more just based off of like what they need more. I think they That's the true. ads on their, like they're watching their tablet for a little while and it pops up, you know, get this this toy and it's a sensory toy like there's no sensory toy ads i felt like growing oh, yeah, up. you know 100%. it was like get this batman get this power ranger there was no like oh get this spinner. well i would argue like the science kits where it was like oh make your own gummies like i did want that so bad as a kid and i never got it or like play-doh toys yes we we i think we knew more the name brand versus the category oh of exactly yes yes but i feel like sensory stuff was more like what you're like my mom would make the century stuff for us oh 100 like go in the yard and here's some dirt like here's a here's a bucket or sand water, or we sand. had a lot more sand pits growing up but it wasn't like uh in kits to me anyway i wasn't ever given a kit and saying here here's like this century toy that you can play with i didn't, I didn't really receive that it was more like created for me well i think yeah and i think I think there's good and bad for that because I think we shouldn't have to buy sensory things. I think they should be readily available. And I think the 90s, it was more, most people did have outdoor toys. Most people did have a sand pit. Most people could afford a beach vacation or most states got snow. So (laughs) I think climate change is a big part of that. And I mean, I think it's good that, you know, if you live anywhere, you can have sensory toys available to you. But I think, yeah, it shouldn't go as far as you have to purchase something. When you have, if you have access to a bath, you have access to water sensory certain things. Um, But I think another topic to point out is with Christmas and shopping is I hope our kids going forward value equally not just the toys that they got but the stuff that we did with them oh yeah 100 and i think we're seeing that i wouldn't say it's instant gratification i would i would caution new parents to understand that a lot of the work that you're putting in in the baby years and the toddler years you might not see until the kids are older And I would say that's big with our kids because our daughter now is reflecting when the holidays come up of she remembers the costumes that we wore. She remembers the places that we went and she'll ask, can we go there again? Sure. And so I think it's, it's very good to empower parents to, even if in the moment, like I'm sure there was times when we were like, are we doing the right thing? Is this going to be worth it down the road? And you don't know until your kids are older 
yeah. Um, I feel like your parents probably had more benefit of being surrounded more of other parents that were having kids at the same time. Yeah, a lot of them. And so they felt more probably more validation than our generation. Because I feel like COVID kind of isolated all of us. Yeah, and you didn't know what everybody was doing. You didn't know if that's, you know, something that your kids going to look back on and say, well, we didn't get to do that, or what everybody else was doing, because you didn't know. Like, yeah. There was no communication going on as far as, like, well, they they went to so-and-so and did this, you know, like. When we had a lot of isolation back-to-back. We had back-to-back. a quarantine. Yeah. And I think that's a unique perspective that we won't recognize until years down the road. Um, I know I'm kind of sad that we're kind of rushing through the holidays already. Yeah. Like, I thought COVID would teach us to slow down. Yep. I thought, you know, COVID would teach us that, hey, not everybody values consumerism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think the big difference for us as a family is we're not... I mean, I did purchase, like, a trunk or treat in case we do want to do one. But we're not going out to buy, like, a bunch of bags of candy. We're not you know purchasing more than we need to yeah because we know the value of as long as our kids go to one halloween event they're happy as long as we get enough candy for us too we're good again. <laughs> we're good and so that brings us to the end of our episode i hope you found these conversations maybe you heard some tips or tricks that you can take along with you to handle the holidays But please just remember that neurodiversity affirming practices are individual. And our goal for this episode is to be helpful. We want people to remember that the key is to celebrate your family, your individuality, your child's individuality, and to make this season enjoyable for everyone. But just remember, every human is unique. You know, everything you hear today, you know, they might work for us. They may work for you. They may not. But just be willing to adapt and evolve your approach as you learn more about neurodiversity and affirming practices because everybody has individual needs and strengths. But I hope that you incorporate neurodiversity affirming practices in your home and they help you become a better individual, a parent, or if you're, you know, a teacher or if you have clients that are neurodivergent because it's all a journey. We're all learning. We're all using our empathetic abilities and hopefully growing as a society but if you like this episode don't forget to follow me at the neuroforming parent on social media you can visit my new etsy shop if you want some merch or if you want some freebies i have a pay hip shop um i'm hoping to make more resources in the upcoming new year um definitely look forward to new episodes bi-weekly on Wednesdays. They're going to be continuing season one into 2024. And then look out for some information on season two that's going to be coming up in 2024 as well. But until next time... Happy holidays! Happy holidays! And... We hope everybody has a happy holiday season and we will be back in... 2024. From the Neuroaffirming family, this is your host, the Neuroaffirming parent, signing off.